listening to The Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 20 of The Worried Writer. I am recording this on the 1st of October 2016 on a chilly but bright day in Scotland. My guest today is Caroline Green. Caroline is an award-winning author of books for young people and she recently moved genre with a pen name, Cass Green, and a brand new psychological thriller, The Woman Next Door, which is currently storming the Kindle charts. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with Caroline, and we cover a range of subjects, including Caroline's writing process, dealing with self-doubt, and the realities of making a living as a writer. In personal news, the audiobook of The Language of Spells came out on the 7th of September. As regular listeners know, it's my first foray into independent publishing, in the sense that I didn't sell the audio rights to a publisher, but went through the online platform ACX to hire a narrator and get the book produced. I don't know if I was just lucky, but the process was incredibly smooth. The site is very easy to use, but the key, I think, was in finding an amazing, experienced and highly professional narrator. Stevie Zimmerman held my hand through the whole process and answered my stupid questions while calmly and efficiently recording over 10 hours of narration to our agreed deadline. I also had the fun task of getting a new cover designed, and again, I hired a wonderful professional for this, and I'm thrilled with the result. If you would like to hear more about the practicalities of getting your book made into audio, let me know, either on Twitter or by email, sarah at worriedwriter. I'm happy to record a video or a special podcast episode or, or write an article on it, but only if it's of interest. Also, if you are at all interested in the audiobook, it is available now on Audible, iTunes and Amazon. I will put the links in the show notes. In other news, I finished my latest book and I am hugely relieved. I actually had a first draft of this finished back in the spring, but it didn't have an ending and I was completely stuck. I sent it to my agent for advice, and as always, her suggestions and questions were super helpful. I rewrote the manuscript, and thankfully, when I got to the last third, it all fell into place and the ending appeared. I don't know if I've ever been so relieved to write the end on a story before. I'm not under contract at the moment, so it's time to cross fingers I get another deal. Wish me luck. Before I get to this month's listener question, I just want to give a quick recommendation. Mark McGuinness has released a new book called Productivity for Creatives, and it's currently free on Amazon or from his website Lateral Action. Mark is a poet and creative coach, and he really knows his stuff. I interviewed him back in episode 12, and he offered loads of great practical advice. I don't know how long the free offer will last, but I'm currently halfway through the book and definitely recommend it. Again, I'll pop a link to it in the show notes. Okay, today's listener question comes from Natalie. She wrote, I wondered whether you had any advice on writing show, don't tell, and how to get the balance right. Thank you so much for your lovely email, Natalie, and your great question. Show, don't tell is one of the writing rules which gets bandied about, and like all such things, it's often misunderstood. Showing and telling are two different tools or techniques, and you need to use them both in your writing. 
For a quick demonstration, here's an example of telling. Rachel was angry. If you wanted to show this, you might write, Rachel slammed the door. There is a time and a place for both. However, in Natalie's email, she mentioned that she'd been getting feedback from her critique group that she needed to show more. So I'm going to chat a little bit about why that might be happening or why she might be getting those comments. My first thought is that it might be a lack of pertinent detail. Sparing use of evocative, descriptive details can really bring your prose alive and help your reader to immerse themselves in your world. The key word here, though, is sparing. Be very deliberate about adding detail and use it to highlight what is important or unusual. A good way to get a feel for this is to look at a book you love, which you felt did a really good job at evoking setting and character, and then study the descriptive passages. You might be surprised at how few details the author used to kickstart the imaginative process in your own mind. Another common issue is that there isn't enough emotional depth. Your reader can't feel what your character is feeling if you only ever use telling. Finally, it's worth reiterating that neither tool is bad per se, they both have their place. For example, if you only use showing, your book would be far too long and the pace would be both slow and all even, there would be no changes in pace. Generally, you should use showing for the really important stuff and feel free to use telling to keep the story moving along. If you're still confused about the definitions of show and tell, I did write a blog post on this for Novelicious under my Write Your Novel series, which I will link to in the show notes. I hope that's been helpful, Natalie, and thanks again for your question. If you've got a question you'd like answered on the show, email me at sarah at worriedwriter or tweet me at Sarah R. Painter. As always, a huge thank you to you for listening, subscribing, rating and reviewing. I really appreciate it. And a quick shout out to some lovely folk for their support on Twitter this month. Joanne Mallory, who's at WriterGal. Rachel, who's at BookishYogi. Gillian McAllister, who's at Gillian M. Author. And Linda Hill, who's at LindaHill50Hill. And now, on to the interview section of the show. is an award-winning author of books for young people. Her debut, Dark Ride, won the RONA Young Adult Book of the Year and the Waverton Good Read Award. Hold Your Breath won the Oldham Book Award and both Hold Your Breath and Cracks have been shortlisted for 11 awards between them. Caroline is writer-in-residence at East Barnet School and teaches writing for children at City University. She has recently moved genre with a pen name, Cass Green, and a brand new psychological thriller, The Woman Next Door, which is currently storming the Kindle charts. I remember Caroline from a writing forum called Write Words, which I belonged to many years ago, and I have followed her career with great pride and interest ever since. I'm so excited to chat to her today. Welcome to the show, Caroline, and thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for inviting me on. I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I covered a wee bit about you in your introduction, but just to break the ice with the audience, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your latest release, The Woman Next Door. Right. Well, I decided just to have a bit of a change from writing uh, YA fiction, just to, just to sort of 
just to kind of, I don't know, keep things fresh, really. I didn't have a contract at the time. I'd written a couple of, I'd had an attempt at writing a couple of middle grade books and they hadn't got anywhere. I hadn't been able to get them off the ground and I was feeling a bit flat about things. So I thought, right, I'm going to have a go at writing something completely different. I've got a very low boredom threshold and I do like to try and write different things. Um, and I just had so much fun. I just had so much fun with it. Um, so I wrote it and I spoke to my agent about it and I I had the I felt very strongly that I would I wanted to go with have an agent that represented adult books for this one because she doesn't have any adult clients on um adult clients adult books um on her list so she was completely cool with that so I went right back to the beginning again back to the slush pile process and had had to sort of put myself out there again which was kind of scary to do and got an agent quickly this time unlike the first time around and it was all very very exciting at first, and the, my agent, uh, Stan, he's called, was really super excited and he really had such high hopes for this book. And then we just got rejection after rejection after rejection. And it was really disappointing and I did a bit of a rewrite and sent it out again. Um, and again, just got lots and lots and lots of uh, rejections. And in the end, we, we did get an offer. Um, that came from an, a new imprint of HarperCollins, which was digital first. And at first, I, w- I was a little bit unsure about this because I really valued the idea of having a paperback. And there is a pa- they, they do do paperbacks, but they're print on demand and they're not quite the quality of a trade paperback. So, but it, I was, you know, I was happy that the book was going to be out there and was introduced to my editor, who I thought was just lovely and really loved working with her, um, Sarah Hodgson at HarperCollins. And then I started to sort of enjoy the process a little bit. And then we had some really, really good news, which was that um, Asda had chosen the book to go into its chart in September, which meant they had to very quickly produce a trade paperback. Um, so things sort of changed. So now it's all it's all good. And, and the book seems to be doing quite well in the in you know, in the book charts. And it was number one on iTunes for a while, which was really exciting. And it's it's done quite well on Amazon. So it's actually all ended up being really lovely. After this time, probably a year ago, I was kind of in tears about the whole thing. And it's all ended up, it's all ended up with a sort of happy ending with this book. Well, that's fantastic. And so did you, did you change agents or did you take on a, a new agent in addition? Sorry to be dense. I took a, yeah, no, no, sorry. Yes. No, I, I've got two agents. I've got one oh, for right, my okay. writing and I've got one for my adult Oh, my fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's brilliant. And um, so you were saying about your low boredom threshold, which I completely <laughs> understand. I love writing different things as well. And I think a lot yeah. of authors do. Um, was it scary at all to sort of change since you'd, I mean, you've made such an amazing name for yourself in the YA world. <laughs> so was it, was it a bit scary to change, um, to change it up? Well, to be honest with you, not really. I mean, it's, you know, it's so lovely having won awards. I mean, really genuinely is just incredibly lovely and validating and all those things. Um, but the year when um, most of these things were happening and I, you know, I'd had sort of national newspaper reviews and I'd won awards and everything was wonderful. Just, and that was the year I'd actually did my self-employed accounts uh-huh. and and sort of cried because uh-huh. I was, because I'd literally made no money. Yeah. Um, and uh, so at the point when I was having a go at trying something else, I still didn't, I was making some sort of a living doing teaching by then. But I was, still wasn't making any living from writing and I didn't actually have a new contract. So 
I didn't really, I, there wasn't really a lot at stake mm, at that mm-hmm. point. I did feel as though I needed to branch out and to try something else, not different, not new in the respect that I'm leaving the other world behind because I'm not. I do want to still write for younger people very much. Um, and I still love that world. But I did feel that I needed to diversify mm-hmm. and to find another way of just existing as a writer because you, you'll know and a lot of the people listening will know how, just how difficult that is, mm-hmm. you know. To, to, to make any kind of a living from, from your writing. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very long-winded answer there. No, <laughs> no, not, no, no, not at all. It's a very sensible answer. I think I think that's the thing we can feel sometimes as if there's... It does feel scary on one hand, but on the other, it's just kind of, as you say, diversifying. It's trying different things. Mm-hmm. It's it's recognising that there's mm-hmm. not, not one path, and that's... Ne- actually probably quite a good thing because it means we get to do lots of different things yes yeah yes so do you do you still do the teaching I do yes which I, I really love I, I, I've had my job at East Barnet School now I'm just about to start the fifth year as their writer in residence and such a um, such a jammy position I know so many writers said how did you manage to get that? what does it involve <laughs> well I go in it used to be for the last four years I've gone in every Thursday afternoon and um, but it's just things have changed at the school so it's now Mondays um, so I'm just adjusting to that um, and I go in at lunchtime and I help with various lunchtime clubs um, usually writing related um, and then I help in a session with the English teachers where they do a sort of they do a sort of off curriculum English topic and I help with that and then I have my absolute pride and joy which is my after school writing club which I just I just love and um it started out there were I only had seven or eight students coming and in fact hold your breath is is um dedicated to them by name in the in the front because it was just this tiny little group now at any one time I could have what was it what was the last count 38 people coming so I've actually had to make two quite big groups to sort of deal with it but it's just it's just lovely it really is the highlight of my week I love it (laughs) (laughs) but I also go into other schools and and yeah so I do quite a lot of stuff like that still Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and do you enjoy the kind of um writing can be quite a solitary career um Mm. one of the reasons I started the podcast was so that I would speak to another human being occasionally (laughs) um so do you find that that's that's another benefit that you're going out and being in the world definitely (laughs) definitely I think part of my low boredom threshold is I'm terrible on my own I was when I was listening to Desert Island Discs and that bit at the end when Kirsty says, you know, so you're going to be on this island. And so many people say, oh, I'll be fine. I, I would go nuts. <laughs> I would be awful. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, I, I do need to be out with people. Um, even, yeah, I think just not, I wouldn't want to necessarily have a very, to do that every single day. And I do value the times when I can just get on and write. But yeah, mm-hmm. I um, I think it it's nice to have that diversity in my week, I think, definitely. Mm. Well, just to, just to go back. Um, back in time, um, back to our right words days. Um, now I remember you getting your contract, your deal for Dark Ride very vividly because I was writing and trying to finish things and submitting and, and, and so on at the time. So I, I felt it very keenly. I was excited for you. Um, but I think it was around 2010, 2011. And I just wondered if you could, um, just talk us through your journey to publication. Yes, certainly. Um, so I, oh gosh, Dark Ride was actually the third thing that I'd 
I'd written by that uh-huh. point. I started off writing a sort of women's fiction adult novel. And um, and it's, it's funny, I don't know, I think this is quite a common experience. I actually, it's almost like I waited until I had no time and no extra time in my life with really young children to actually start doing it. It's, it's funny. It's like I had less time then than ever before. Yes, it's really, it's funny, isn't it? I think it's because it was something for me and it felt like mm-hmm. sort of something that was just for myself. And I was tremendously excited about this um about this book and uh, um, I had had this encouragement from a really top name agent who was very interested she seemed and then took a year to reject me and I didn't I didn't get on and I just I had a young baby but also I didn't really get on and do anything because I was in this state of sort of you know suspended animation waiting to see what would happen and, uh-huh. and then, then I realized that was a terrible mistake to have waited that long so then I wrote a a book because I was starting to really appreciate just what brilliant fiction there was out there for children I think I think I'd forgotten about that really I started to read a lot of it to my eldest son and I wrote a book about a um a werewolf and it had a sort of Native American theme it's called Skinwalker and I thought I was very excited about it and I went to the Winchester Writers Conference and um and won first prize in the in the competition there which was thrilling um but not a single agent wanted to see the book. So oh, well, it wasn't very good. No, I, again, so it was again, this huge sort of feeling of, oh, this is, this is going to be when things are going to start to happen. So then spent quite a lot of time sending that out and then coming to the conclusion that it wasn't going to be, um, picked myself up, dusted myself down again and thought, right, okay, this is quite a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I started writing something else, which um, ended up being, um dark ride and this time i got a lot of agents asking to read it but i didn't get any offers at all right and i i've got a list on my computer and i i teach a course to adults at city university as you mentioned at the beginning and i take this in to show them and they always kind of gasp at this list with all the the agents that rejected me on it and i kept a log and i show them the the comments next to it about what they'd said and things and i really think i went through everybody in the writers and artists yearbook and they may you know some of the so many of them said oh yes we really like this but I just don't think this is necessarily the book that's going to launch your career. So, but you know, I'm dying to see your next thing, which is you know, uh-huh. we've all been there, and that it's like well, that doesn't help at all saying <laughs> you're dying to see your next thing. So, and then I literally thought to myself, right, I've got to feel I'm quite a stubborn person, really. My family will attest to that, and I thought, right, okay, I'm going to have one, literally one last throw of the dice. I'm going to uh-huh. send this book out. Um, I had a look to see if there were any publishers that would take um, direct submissions and I found Piccadilly Press and I'm trying to remember what the other one was now, um, I forgot, Nosy Crow. Uh-huh. And so I thought, right, I'll send it directly to publishers and then if they say no, I'll, I'll move on. And I'd already started writing another book by this point that was quite different. And it took a really long time. They were very slow, but Piccadilly Press actually made me an offer. So I ended up getting a, a publisher before I got an agent. And then, uh-huh. as you can imagine, it was easier to get an agent when I already had a publishing deal. <laughs> uh-huh. So it was a, it was a very strange, and it really was the last throw of the dice, you know, it really was. So, What made um, you get an agent having got a publishing contract? I haven't got a very good business head, and I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. bit of a softie. And um, my agent, Catherine Pellegrino, is brilliant, and she's, she's a real tough business person, and I feel like, 
I need somebody in my corner to sort of argue about contracts and things because I'm no I'm no good at that. Uh-huh. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so it was a strange side, not sideways, but it wasn't it wasn't quite the usual route mm. in that I got a publishing deal before I got taken on with an agent. So yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But it's absolutely the way. It's so encouraging. I love hearing these stories because um, so often it parallels my own experience or or I just, it's so reassuring to know that, and I hope that it's reassuring for people listening, that it's so, so normal to go through many, many rejections. And I know yes. everybody says that, but I do think that it bears repeating <laughs> and with details. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. especially speaking to someone as successful as you, that that was the start you you know it was a, a bit rocky <laughs> it was very rocky uh-huh. I think it was I think it was 34 I think the number uh-huh. was 34 rejections uh-huh. before, <laughs> before one said yes it's so. tough isn't it it's really yeah. tough it's uh-huh. really t- oh yeah. dreadful so hard when you're going through it, it really is <laughs> so you had Dark Ride and yeah. then you wrote another two YA novels mm. as we as, mm. as we've mentioned um and then you've swapped which involved a change to a pen name, which makes sense yeah. from a branding point of view. But um, yeah. I wondered if you had any insights or tips regarding relaunching, I suppose, or, or writing under a pen name now that you've done it. <laughs> yeah, well, the pen name thing was was really strange in the end because what happened was I, I from when I started writing the book and I was hoping it would be published, I thought I was going to, my my intention was that I would publish it as C.S. Green, uh-huh. um, a bit like Callie Taylor, yeah, brilliant yeah, yeah. Callie Taylor, uh-huh. who's got two careers. And um, so when it came, it was a, it was very late on in discussions of, of editing the, the book when they were sort of putting the cover together and they put together this wonderful cover. And it was really quite late in the day. And my editor said, oh, what, did you say something about a pen name? And I said, yes, I was going to go with C.S. Green. And she went, do you know what? She said, we're, we're finding things are, are sort of, at the moment, are suggesting that female names are selling thrillers. So actually, it'd be much better if you could have oh. your name there. And so, and I said, oh, gosh, that's really thrown me. I have to think about a whole new name. She said, <laughs> she sort of blithely said, oh, that's all right. You can let me know tomorrow. <laughs> so I had a huge panic. Like, oh my god, I'm going to think of a whole identity by tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was really important for me to keep my surname because I don't use my married name, mm-hmm. um, which I suggested, which is Lowndes, which is quite unusual. Uh-huh. Um, and um, <laughs> my agent and my editor both sort of went, mm, "No, it's too, it's too complicated." <laughs> um, but I don't tend to use my married name, and my. I really wanted to use my names. My my dad, mm. who was my biggest, biggest cheerleader about my writing, was just so involved in it, died just coming up to two years ago. And he never got to sort of be part of this adult book. And he would have just been so thrilled. He would have been so excited. And it was really important to me that the name, I kept my name green on there. So anyway, so I had a big dilemma about what Christian name to use. And I, was, I thought about going with Annie, which was my mum's name. And then I thought, I think it has to relate to my own name because I think I would find it disorientating if, you know, I'm hoping to do sort of festivals and things. So I thought variations on Caroline and Mm -hmm. my, um, I was Kaz with a Z growing up and Kazzy. And it looked a bit, didn't quite look right. So I thought, well, what about Cass? So, and I sort of got used to it now. Um, So I think that can help to have, 
it's sort of two identities. I'm still kind of finding my way on that, really. Mm-hmm. I um, really like yeah. it. I think it's a really good name. Um, oh, thank you. And the surname Green is great as well. But I think Cass Green does work really well. Oh, good. Um, it was, yeah. At first, it felt very strange. And my <sighs> sister, who's one of my dearest people in the world, she sort of didn't like it. And I thought, oh, oh no, don't say that. She said, oh, I don't, know. I don't think that's quite right. But I, I haven't got any time left. I have to find <laughs> <laughs> From a personal point of view, when I've been, I've been thinking about pen names um, a wee bit, and I would like to have either an initial or it to be related to my name, or to start with an S, so that if I'm signing emails, I can sign S, and yeah. it so I don't get confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, one thing. Um, uh, fantastic writer Ruth Ware, who wrote oh. in a dark, dark word. Um, she, of course, I mean, her real name is Ruth Warburton. So she's kind of done it. She's she's had a name that she could adjust. And I think that's another good way of doing it. But Green, I, th- I would have to have made it longer. And it would have been, <laughs> I could have been Caroline Greenberg or something. But <laughs> it didn't feel quite right either. So, yeah, well, I think it's I think it can be useful to do that. Um, and I think it just helps you to sort of separate the two. That the, makes the sense. Two writing personas. Uh-huh. But I. I'm still kind of finding my way on that. And in terms of the writing experience, was um, was it significantly different an experience to write a psychological thriller as compared with your previous uh, YA books? Well, no, actually not really, because um, even though my three, well, four, because there's a sequel as well. Um, I mean, the first one, the first book, Dark Ride, was a sort of supernatural romance um, and I was very thrilled to win the Romantic Novel of the Year Award for YA fiction, but I'm not a reader. I'm not a consumer of romance novels at all. And I was actually really surprised to win that award. It was a lovely, lovely surprise, but I hadn't particularly thought of it as a, as a book about romance, really. Um, because mm-hmm. I think my heart lies with thrillers and books like that. So, and the next one, Cracks, was, you know, dystopian fiction, which I love as well. Um, and then Hold Your Breath is, was a thriller with a supernatural element. But I think they, I'd like to think that they all have in common, I hope, that they're all thrillers and they're all page turners. And that, for me, mm. is the thing that I wanted to hopefully bring to my adult writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would think there's a certain thread all the way through my books. Mm-hmm. So actually, not really. Quite enjoyed mm-hmm. swearing. That was fun. <laughs> was the first thing I thought of. Oh, yeah, I loved that. that there's not a huge amount of sex in it, but I did enjoy the swearing. <laughs> it's like, oh, a relief. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and in, in terms of your sort of day-to-day, I love hearing about other authors' routines and yeah, processes. I'm slightly <laughs> obsessive about the entire thing. Yeah, I so well. I was hoping that you could tell me about a typical writing day, if there is such a thing, or your yeah. week, your working week. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I've got to the point where I find it very difficult to write at home in my study. I don't know what it is. I've just... I'm not good at writing at home. So my absolutely sort of perfect writing day involves going to the British Library. Um, I'm very lucky in that it's not a huge distance um, from where I live in in suburbs of North London. Um, And I have a reader's card, which means I can go into the the big, big reading rooms, which are just gorgeous. And I think there's something about the fact that I've, I've, I sometimes have to make arrangements to do it. Like if my husband's not around, I have to get someone to walk the dog and I can't do school pickups and things. It feels like more of a commitment. And I feel that when I'm there, I have to really make the time count. 
Um, and that for me is the place when I can really sort of knuckle down and get the most writing done. I also go to local libraries where I live um, and I find that quite good as well. But um, the British Library is my sort of number one favourite place to write. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you, you sort of feel guilty if you don't get a reasonable amount done. So. <laughs> and do you aim for a certain word count a day or do you track time or anything like that? Well, when I'm at the British Library, I would I hope to get 3,000 words done. Mm-hmm. Um, the most I've ever written in a day was four, and that was that was an incredible amount. I can't, I sort of couldn't believe I'd done that, and I was really exhausted. I know lots of people write much more than that in a day, but for me, um, I'd, I'd like to try and hit 3,000 words if I can. Um, mm-hmm. Two, two and a half, I'll be happy with, but three is my goal um, when I'm there. Um, probably a bit less than that if I'm not actually at the British Library. But yeah, that's my that's my sort of personal writing goal for the day. And do you try and keep sort of business hours Monday to Friday and take the weekends off or? Yeah, I do try to. It depends, really. Um, mm-hmm. There's always seems to be things going on at weekend. My husband has to work quite a lot the weekend, so it's not always easy for me to do it as well. Um, but I sometimes do take myself off to the local library on a Saturday afternoon and write then. Um, and school days, I do around various school runs and so on um oh. yeah I think like so many of us I, think, I know you do as well um but yeah so it's um I pretty much do try and keep a sort of proper working day I'm not someone that could kind of start working at 10 o'clock in the evening and work till 2 a.m or anything I couldn't no. really do that no I have no, to do it I'm I'm comatose by the evening so yeah, <laughs> yeah <me too. laughs> and in terms of sort of staying productive and creative over time um i mean there's the there's the dealing with the business side and the the marketing and the admin and the wonderful privileged um business of dealing with readers which is amazing but it still takes time yeah. how how do you balance all of the stuff that goes along with being a full-time author with your writing well quite badly i think <laughs> Um, I was sort of, I, I mean, I, as you know, I, I listen to this show myself and I'm, I always, you know, I always am desperate to pick up how other people are doing things. And um, I think there's been times when you've mentioned various apps and I'm thinking, oh, I must get that instantly. That will change my life. <laughs> and then I forget about it because I'm usually walking around the park, walking the dog and I'm listening. And when I get home, I've forgotten to order it or whatever. But um, I don't think I've got a good balance at all. I think I... I think I, I'm not very organised. That's the problem. I'm not, I'm not the most organised person. So I will probably just deal with things in a big flurry and then I'll mm-hmm. try and get on and write. So I have no handy system that I can pass on to other people, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> Sorry. Well, um, since since you're a listener, you know what's coming. <laughs> I have to apologise, but I because it's the worried writer... I'm going to have to ask you about creative blocks or do you ever suffer from procrastination or self-doubt? And if so, how do you deal with it? Well, if I tell you that the, the reason I started listening to the pod, the podcast is because I saw the words worried writer and I thought, that's for me. That's so for me. Yeah, no, uh, dreadful on all, all of those things. Total procrastination, constant worry and insecurity. <laughs> Dread We're now laughing the manic laughs of some worried writers, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm constantly. I, I mean, I think one one of the things I must admit that um, 
and, and funnily enough, I think I can't remember who you were talking to, but there was one of the podcasts recently, I think, where this question, this issue came up of having lots of ideas and it always strikes terror into my heart because I'm completely monogamous with ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't have them all lining up. I don't have them all crowding in, demanding to be listened to. And I think sometimes that means I'm not a proper writer because I don't have hundreds and hundreds of ideas. So when I do have one and I write, you know, write it and develop it, I'm always convinced that's the last one I'm ever going to have. And I sort of think, well, how on earth does anybody write a book? I think, well, this uh-huh. It's incredibly difficult. How, did it, how does anyone do that? How did I do it? Um, and I'm always convinced for a start that I'm not going to be able to. And then once I get started, um, I start, I'm convinced that everybody else knows how to plot and all those things. And I don't. I think I'm getting maybe a little bit better. But um, mm. if, I've, if I'm having a period, a sort of fallow period in between projects where I'm not sure what to do next, I've really, I just feel quite miserable I really do. I feel like something's something's missing and I just feel a bit flat and almost a bit sort of depressed really. Just a bit sort of oh, and I really need that. I feel I feel it really I find it really kind of nourishing to be doing something. Um but I have found I'm I'm I've never really properly done the artist's way program, but I do think um I'm sure lots of people will have heard of the Julia Cameron book The Artist's Way. But I do find the idea of um she talks about sort of creative dates or something mm-hmm. like that don't I don't really do it in the way that's suggested in the book but I find I'm inspired by other things so I'm not somebody that um can't read while I'm writing something or finds it confusing to you know watch certain movies or whatever I find storytelling is what inspires me that's the thing I love more than anything so watching really well put together films reading really good books that's what gives me the sort of fire back when I'm feeling as though um, I've got writer's block or I just don't feel like there's any ideas in the well, you know. Uh-huh. I think that really is the, th- the way that I sort of replenish myself is to enjoy other people's storytelling. Um, that probably sounds really pretentious. But no, no, I'm exactly true. the same. I'm exactly oh, the same. Really? I, think you, I think you have to put material in. You have to yeah. fill it up, don't you, with stuff? It does. It really does mm. feel like that. It mm-hmm. feels like a tank that has to be filled. And then... When I feel like I've got, you know, a full tank, that's when the ideas just do start to come, you know. Um, do you yeah. also find that um, because I, I, I'm I, very similar in that I don't have tons and tons of ideas and I used to think that meant that I wasn't really a writer. Oh. Um, I wasn't cut <laughs> out for it. Um, but I, one thing I found, um, I don't know if you found this, but when I start working on a book, the ideas come as I'm working on it and it develops yeah. into so I, I'm these days I'm slightly less I still worry, but mm. having been through the process a few times, I'm more able to trust the fact that if I just keep on writing, some stuff will happen. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Do you do you find that experiences help it at all or um yeah. Well I, I used to be um you know that whole thing about being a plotter or a pants. Oh, oh. <laughs> um I used to, the very first thing that I wrote, the, the very first book, was total pantsing and I it was such a blast it was felt a bit like falling in love I just had such a great time but it was complete rubbish so um (laughs) um, and I've never really I'd never really quite got to grips with plotting things very carefully either and I would Mm. obsessively sort of read about how other people did it I would sort of you know constantly read books about how to do it um, I would constantly buy sort of new packs of note cards and think, right, this time I'm going to make the note cards work and all this kind of thing. 
And then I came to the conclusion, actually, I was a bit of a mixture of both. But I have to say, in more recent times, the smallest thing made a difference to me, a really stupid small thing with regard to plotting things out using, but not cards, using post-it notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's um, just helped so much because there's something about the commitment of writing on a nice note card, I've realized, that feels as though I'm sort of having to sort of stick with that. Whereas post-it notes, you can just put loads of them down and chuck away the ones that don't work. I know it sounds silly, but it's just such a small thing. And so what I, I, I did for the book I'm writing at the moment, which and the plot has really come together for me on this one, I took five big sheets of A3 paper and I did five acts. And I literally started to put down post-it notes randomly. I didn't try and do them in any kind of shape other than they were on that within that act about the kind of things that might happen in this story and it really really helped me so maybe I am actually a plotter at heart it's um yeah that sounds like a fantastic tip I love that idea yeah it really has worked Mm. for me it's made such a difference really has I think we're probably all a little bit of a mix aren't we I'm sure there are some people who are at the extreme ends but yeah (laughs) I think the thing that put me off is about plotting too much as I always remember Lee Weatherly who's the most wonderful talented writer and a friend of mine she's just all-round great person and she talked about how in her early days she made so many notes for a project that she just lost the interest in it and I've done something similar I've killed an idea by not not working on it by just letting it sit and not not nourishing it or developing it or anything and I think ideas can wither which is a bit sad when that happens (laughs) so yeah yeah no that's great advice and and you were just mentioning um reading lots of of books and 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 Mm -hmm. descriptions of how other people do it um in addition to your fantastic post-it note idea do you have any other recommendations for books or blog posts or anything that you found particularly useful i do i do actually wonderful um so first of all i'd like to recommend um zoe marriott's uh fantastic um ya fantasy writer her brilliant um um blog uh, called the zoe trope um and she's i always find good stuff on there and she's actually got a series of posts about plotting and how she does plotting that again i think I recommend them to my students at City. I, I think it's so good. So there's that. And also my absolutely favourite writing book is by um, John York, and it's called Into the Woods, A Five-Act Journey into Story. And it's um, super nerdy. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, was, I was lucky enough to, to, um, to know, I just happened to notice actually that at the London Screenwriting Festival, which was about two weeks ago, he was doing a whole day seminar for screenwriters and novelists on story structure advanced story structure so it's completely geeking out on this stuff all day it was brilliant mm-hmm. and I, again I would really recommend if anybody gets the chance to either go and, hit, and actually you can look him up on YouTube he's got lectures on YouTube oh fantastic yeah uh-huh. so it's York with an E on the end and and I and say the, the the book I'm sure you'll put in the show notes is um I, I think it's I think it's a it's a fantastic book. Oh, I've got another one actually. I'm afraid I can't remember the the author's name, but this slightly ties in with something that I've really picked up from John York about having a middle point in your book, an, an exciting midpoint. And there's a book that I came across recently called The Mirror Moment. Okay. Um, I could probably find 
find it for you um that's okay i will i will find it yeah um, pop it in the show notes and i'll email you if i can't find it <laughs> right okay yeah and that's again talking about the sort of thinking about the middle of your no- novel and so often people have a sort of saggy middle don't they uh-huh. um, and the idea being that you can if you if you can make that very strong then the whole rest of the book is going to fall into place so i recommend that one as well there are probably so many more if i think about it <laughs> I'm obsessed with books like that. <laughs> yes, no, me too, me too. That's brilliant. Thank you. Those are great. And in terms of productivity, do you have any tips for staying productive over time? Because you've written, you know, you've been doing this a wee while now. Um, you've obviously mentioned taking yourself out of the house yeah. uh, in order to get some work done. I imagine that involves not having Wi-Fi. Well, it unfortunately it doesn't, and I even downloaded, I even downloaded Freedom, a thing called Freedom, but for some reason there's something about the British Library that it won't, it, you can't use it in the British Library, but I can use it at home and I can use it in the local library. Mm-hmm. But my best tip for this is something that I picked up from, um, I went to the um, the Scattered Authors um, Society, which is a sort of YA. Um, writers group had a weekend conference and a chap there did a post all about how to stop yourself from being online too much okay. and he, he called it the pomodoro technique oh yes it all kind of comes from a pomodoro tomato timers that you can you can get on the internet but the idea being he sort of said that you know even the most rubbish procrastinator can work for 15 minutes for goodness sake and <laughs> and I thought well that's true and he said just set set a timer and don't, I think you think you may even have covered this in another podcast actually mm, I, I do think, I but, do use it yeah, yeah I do use the timer method when I'm being particularly feeble yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, it really, and I definitely recommend doing that yeah oh, that's fantastic no well thank you because it's always worth mentioning um because it has it's definitely very very useful one I one definitely I recommend to go back to the sort of balance um author life uh but from the worried aspect mm. um what do you find most difficult, writing or publishing or the marketing? Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think so many people suffer from, you know, what they call imposter syndrome. Uh, uh-huh. um, and I constantly have that. I constantly yeah. sort of think, oh, well, I'm just, you know, it's all been a fluke so far. I've just Even with all it. your awards. Oh, definitely. Don't you just clutch your awards, do you? <laughs> Well, no, because I think, well, probably they, they was, you know, they were flukes in their own way. And <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yes, it's this, the sort of self-doubt thing. Um, yeah, I can, I, it really does. I do struggle with it. But I think that the biggest one, the one that, that really does kind of strike terror into my heart is this idea of I won't be able to think of, I won't be able to write something else. That's the thing that, that's the thing that could wake me up in the middle of the night, sort of worrying that I won't be able to come up with something that works as a story and I won't be able to write it. So, yeah. Do you find that's worse because it's your job? Well, you know, we want so much writing to be our job. Oh, sorry, fiction writing. But then the moment it is, it, there's so much pressure because you, it adds to that fear. It's not, what if I can never think of an idea because I love writing? It's what if I can never think of another idea and I'll have to do something else with my life? Well, do you know, do you know, in a funny way, I don't think it is that. Okay. I think it actually uh-huh. is. It is the fact that I, I just don't feel quite, quite happy unless I'm writing yes. something. Uh-huh. I think it is that because you know I thought to myself before when I was having the sort of fallow period from when I was before I started writing this adult book and I wasn't getting, I didn't have anything published, not in hardly any time, like a year or something, mm-hmm. no time. Mm-hmm. I found myself thinking, you know, there are lots of people who who um, do lots of teaching and have 
I've only had one book published ages ago and nobody thinks badly of them for it. And I thought, well, you could, you could easily just, you know, t- just work on the teaching side of things and do other things. But that so wasn't what I wanted. You know, I, I wanted no. to write and I wanted to be published and to be out there. So I think it actually is just more the feeling that I don't want to not be writing something. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of creative energy thing, um, not having anywhere to go, I think. I think that I think that's that's the the big worry is that that, mm-hmm. that can happen. So yeah, I'm I'm always worried about something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're in. You're, I was going to say you're in good company. Um, that's you're in company anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Mm. And um, just to wrap up, I'd really love to ask you about your future plans, if there are any that you're able to talk about. What's coming next for you? Well, I. I'm I'm writing something at the moment. I've nearly finished it. Um, my agent has seen a, the um, nearly almost finished first draft, and this is going to be the next draft, and he's been really encouraging. And at the moment, I don't have a contract, so it's quite, it's quite you know, it's going to be quite interesting to sort of get back out there and see what, you know, what happens, having now entered this world and not coming at it from completely from nowhere. Uh-huh. Um, so... It's going to be kind of interesting to see, really. I think we're going to be back out there um, seeing what, what happens next. So fingers That's crossed. Exciting. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But is it another thriller that you've written? Another adult thriller, sorry. Oh, wonderful. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. No, I've had a great time with this one. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been huge fun to write. So I'm, um, I'm hoping that people will like it and that it will get out there into the world. I hope so. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Um, and where can listeners find out more about you and your books? I have a Facebook page, um, which I think if you just look up Caroline Greenwriter, you'll find it. Um, and I'm on Twitter as either as Cass Greenwriter um, or as uh, Caroline S. Green. Um, I've got two accounts there. I've got a website, but I'm I've not been very good at, do, at updating it and I'm just talking to someone at the moment about having a brand new website. So that's carolinegreen.net. Um, mm. I do have book trailers and things like that up there, but it does, mm. it very much needs a bit of a facelift at the moment. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's so lovely to speak to you and congratulations again on the fantastic success of your new thriller. Thank and you. I will put all the links in the show notes. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag worriedwriter. See you next time.